Hello, everybody. We have a another special interview with us. We are here with my man, Tobias. Tobias is a up-and-comer in the basketball recruiting market. A lot of tech fans have been following him lately since he said some great scoops. Um, Tobias, thank you for coming on with, with us. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. So I'll just get right into it and start off with, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll focus mostly on basketball through this, but I probably will ask you a couple questions just about tech sports in general. Um, first and foremost, you know, it's been kind of a wild off season for basketball. Basically, yeah. almost every roster in the country turned over. I mean, this is insane. Yeah. You know, as somebody who, you know, professionally is monitoring the recruiting market, what was it like to see all of these changes coming through constantly? Um, it was definitely a busy time because, you know, people, they were putting their name in the portal. I feel like every every minute and a half, every two minutes. So it was definitely interesting to see. Um, there's a lot of teams, you know, uh, some of these teams are loaded. They brought in a lot of guys, a couple even, you know, incoming seniors that are like, they reclassed, you know, Imani Bay, Jalen Duran, they reclassed. You had uh, the, another guy that went to LSU, he uh, reclassed. So it's interesting to see all the turnover. Um, I think this is just a, this is just a new thing in college basketball. You can transfer once without sitting out. And this is what it's going to be pretty much every year. So one of the things that's come up with on the football side, and Lincoln Riley talked about this, is the concern that you know you're you're a not a five star, but like a three star football player, three or four star. Right. Some of these guys who would normally sneak into the Power Five ranks, and now you know the, if instead of going to get those guys, a lot of coaches are thinking I can go grab you know a super senior or a, a rising junior with no penalty are you at all you know what, what's your opinion about the future of high school players looking to get into you know the upper echelons of major college basketball I mean if you're at the level of Lincoln Raleigh and OU it makes a lot of sense either in both sports basketball and football you know I have already seen this super senior or junior or whatever his classification is I've already seen them play I know they can play at a high level. They can play Division One sports. As for a freshman, you know, sometimes freshmen, you know, sometimes they'll come in and immediately and make an immediate impact. But for the most part, there's a learning curve. Well, if I'm OU or a school at that level, I, I don't really have time to be developing guys, at least not for the short term. I can still bring in a couple of couple of freshmen as well. But if I can get a senior running back that's played three years ball in the Pac-12, I'm going to do that because it, it, it keeps it keeps us at a level that we want to be in. Like OU, they're competing for – the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve title, and you know, the hopes of going to another playoff. I have to get those guys because it just it just helps me be able to stay at the top. I don't have to wait wait for and you know the learning curve because coming in as an incoming freshman, it's a lot. You know, you're everything's changed. You're away from home. The whole thing is just different. It was different for me coming in as a freshman. I didn't play sports, so I know it's even a whole different horizon for a college athlete. So when you when you're talking about this, you probably have a little bit more face time monitoring recruiting than a lot of us do with guys who are trying you know they've got firm offers and they're looking to try to get into you know they're they're rising they're going to be going to let's just say for instance you're coming to tech you're some freshman who's trying to get there you know are you getting any unease from some of these kids about what's happening are their parents concerned that there may be less spots available for their kids to go play well personally i'll talk to a lot of kids um about this and their parents directly i'll tell them this if the transfer portal is now a part of it's now a part of your recruitment. So if you're kind of waiting around for, let's say you're a kid, you're a three-star basketball player, and your best offer is Tulsa. But let's say you've been in contact, you've been in contact with maybe like a TCU a school like, like U of H and stuff like that. I'll tell the kid you might want to go ahead and commit, not to TCU or not try to wait because what happens is sometimes the kid 
they might a kid might transfer to the school and you're a number one option. Now you can't go there anymore. I'll give you an example. I won't use any names. There was a kid, he's a three-star recruit, he's from Texas, he's basketball. In his top seven, he had Minnesota was going to be in his top seven. Immediately, the very next day, a four-star recruit, ironically from Minneapolis, he commits to Minnesota. Minnesota called the recruit back and told him, hey, we got our guy now. We're no longer pursuing you as a target anymore. So now he has to take them out of his top seven and go somewhere else. But you see, is the thing that I was, I told him, I was like, hey, if you're looking to commit, if you're a kid, especially like a three-star recruit, you don't need to have a top seven, in my opinion. There's no way you're considering seven schools. How? You only can tell you how, how could you possibly consider seven schools? I told him yeah. to go ahead and commit before that happens. So, you know, a school that he might have really wanted to go to, he no longer can go there anymore. So I just tell kids, um, just be aware of that. Make sure you're always fully informed, checking verbal commits, checking to see what kids are going where, because you don't want to be the odd guy out. So this is something I've noticed with recruiting is it seems like now we're getting more and more often, even the lower echelons of like the talent pool, you know, still good kids. Don't get me wrong. You know, if you were, if you are a starred athlete, you've done, you're far better athlete than most of the country but you know we're seeing a lot more of these kids are doing like top 15s top 10s do you think that hurts people's ability you know to get to where they're trying to go when they're trying to string this along um i mean at the end of the day you know they're they're kids and it's all about the clout you know they're trying to do whatever they can do to get more followers especially with the nil they probably figure well if i can get a couple hundred more followers of school, that looks good in my negotiations when I try to negotiate to get money. I think it is just a long, very, very long process. Um, I think that personally, there's no way you're considering 10, definitely not 15 schools. If you're, you know, get you a top three, I'll even give you a top five. But other than that, the rest of those schools, some of those schools, you're not even going to visit. Most of them, you're not even going to visit. So I don't even see how they could be in your top or whatever, especially when you know you're not going to visit. And I'll, I'll even do this. There are some kids, won't use, won't use any names. There are some kids, they're putting whatever school in their top, whatever. That school has, number one, has not offered them one or two. If they offered them, they offered them like a year and a half ago, and they have not gotten into contact with them. There was a kid recently, he put a school in this. He put a school in his top, I think it was his top seven. I reached out to a coach from the program. It was the SEC school. I asked him, I said, hey, coach, um, I told him the day before because I knew the kid was going to be in the top seven. I said, hey, coach, um, such and such is going to put you guys in the top seven. He was like, what? What do you mean? I was like, he's putting you guys in your top seven. I was like, are y'all surprised? Did y'all not think y'all going to be able to get him? He was like, no, it's not that. We just haven't talked to this kid in like a year and a half. I'm honestly confused as to why he would even why he would even put us in his top seven. So some kids are just doing it for the social media gimmick, but that's just uh, I mean, they're kids, and you know they like they're doing it for the clout. So that's just what it comes to. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I can tell you since we follow tech, you know, we'll, we'll pick up kids who I definitely think that. We're part of the problem. We'll pick up kids who like put tech in the top, whatever. And yeah. that's that's just part of the game. I just I think that I've noticed that with especially now. You mentioned the NIL stuff. From your perspective, you're looking at now. There's like what is it? Overtime Elite is the name of yeah. the the new professional thing that they're trying to do. Have you seen the NIL come more into play before these kids are considering going? Um, I think it'll definitely play a significant role. Um, some kids, you know, they just don't like school. They don't like the whole college thing, and this is their, you know, this is their way out. You throw them a bunch of cash, they're going to be playing against other high-level players, and that's just the option that they go. I think the NIL 
definitely kind of evens the playing field because you're seeing guys, regardless of what level. You have, you're, there's a kid, he's from Dallas. He goes to North North Carolina Central, I believe. I think he got – well, he, I think he was making like 600K with a clothing line deal. He's going to a, you know, he's going to an HBCU. So you have the quarterback from Alabama. He's going to make over – he's scheduled to make over a million dollars. So I think that it's definitely – leveled the playing field. I just want to see what are the repercussions from this. Because it's good. You know, I'm glad the student athletes are getting paid. They deserve to be paid. But I want to see a year from now or the year after that, what are going to be some of the horror stories that we hear about this. Because it's going to happen. It's unfortunate, but that's just something when you implement a new policy or a new thing, bad things, good things, good things are going to come from it. But there's also going to be some bad things. I want to see, one, how long will this last? And will this be an issue that coaches have to deal with? Because they have a lot on their plate already. Yeah, because you just you you wonder how you know how are the compliance officers going to be tracking what's yeah. what's real and what's 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 completely outside of the the, the current NIL rules. I I'm going to ask you this question because we get this hand ringing every now and then from some of the the major ESPN pundits and, and announcers, but there's always this sense that oh this this next gr- latest and greatest professional venture or letting kids go into the G league is going to kill college basketball. You know, we're going to, we're going to see a total talent drain. You, you've talked to a lot of these kids. Do you think that at the upper end that you're really going to see this big flush of the top tier talent overseas or in the G league or is college basketball still going to be able to retain these kids in their ranks? I still think they'll be able to retain them, but you look at, so this past, look at the, look at the past two weeks. You had two top 20 kids in the class of 23, so they're juniors, opt to go to the overtime league. You had Bryson Warren from Arkansas who did it yesterday. You had Tyler Smith who did it a week ago, a week and a half ago. So that that's a whole – those are kids. They're juniors in high school. We're just, we're just not going to get to see them play college sports. The biggest thing is I want to see – because overtime, they, they signed, I think, almost 20 kids. So I want to see – how does that work going forward? Because they got 20 next year. Could they get 30? What's the, how many kids are they going to consistently sign? Because the G League, the past two years, I think they've only taken five. But the, with the overtime, they're trying to get as many as they can. You know, they, there's been kids, there's been kids that have turned down six and seven figure deals to just because they want to continue high school. So I think college basketball is still king right now because, I mean, Jalen Green, for example, he went second overall, but there were people complaining that, oh, I didn't even get to see him that much. The games were coming on at noon during the pandemic. People were either at work or doing dealing with other things. So people didn't really get to see him play as much. But he had a very – he looked like he's going to be successful going forward. But over time, I want to see what channel is going to pick them up and where how are we going to be able to watch these guys play specifically. So – TV is a big part of it, and I think kids and these kids need to be seen. This league needs to be seen. So I want to see what they do going forward. And that's something that I think people don't value enough when they're when they can when they're talking about this because there are plenty of kids. You know, if you're offered a big enough paycheck, I, I fully understand kids wanting to take it. One of the things right. I think is always like part of this is you know they talk every year about the guys who make a run in the NCAA tournament, and that's their entire exposure. That that yeah. signs them up for whatever spot in the draft they're going to get is because of what they did during the tournament when the entire nation's watching. But, you know, overtime is a new concept. The G League, I think it's, it's still going to have limited reach. You know, you've got a few kids. Tech was eyeing one of them a couple years ago where no. they're, they're, they're going overseas to go play. When you're talking to the – when you're thinking – from your perspective, I should say, would you think that the best offer – if, you're, if you're, your two choices are to go overseas and take a payday 
or coming to college and, you know, with NIL, you might make a little money. I, I don't, depends yeah. on your, your turn of uh, your perspective. You know, w- would you think that there is value to going to play overseas or does that, you know, take you out of the conversation a little bit? So the overseas thing, I've, I've had many conversations about this. We've had, we've seen several players do it, but has it been overall successful? So you had Brandon Jennings, he did, he was at the league. He was out of the league before even, I think, eight or two. He didn't even play a decade in the NBA. I don't even think he played eight years. You have Josh Shelby. He played like a year and a half. He's out the league. Emmanuel Boudier did it. He's out the league. How many of these guys have done it where they've came over here and successfully they've been able to stay? Because so far, so far, some of these guys are out the league. We'll see how RJ Hampton's career goes for. I think he'll be fine. But some of these some of these kids, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few, but have any of them turned into this superstar? A lot of these guys are getting out the league. Average NBA career was four. I just told you two guys who didn't even last that long. So it has that overseas route been truly successful. We'll see what the G League and Overtime League thing does, but I still think college is king. How much money does Zion Williamson make himself doing that? How much money did Jalen Suggs make himself? Yeah. Kay Cunningham make himself. If if Jalen Green would have went to the went to the play in college basketball, he might have been the number one overall pick. I don't know. But because Kay was there, I got to see him play 15, 20 times on national television. That plays a significant role. So from from what you're getting at then is if overtime signs, I don't know, some sort of primetime deal with ESPN, you're going to get like, say they do like a 7, 15 yeah. game schedule, whatever the case, that would be as big of a moving, uh, as big of a, a moving the needle as just the overall salaries they're offering these kids. Yeah, I think it would definitely help the needle. The biggest thing is what television company is going to get it, one, and time, what time is it going to be on? Because, I mean... You can't play. There are certain days you can't even you can't even you can't show them at all during football. I can't. You can't show them on a Monday, a Thursday, a Saturday, or a Sunday. You can't do that because the competition. Yeah, people aren't going to watch that. So, what days are you going to be able to show these kids and see? Maybe they figure that out. But when the thing is, basketball and football they collide at some point. Their 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 seasons intersect. What days and time are you going to be able to show these kids play? They need it. They have it has to be on TV because that's where the money comes from. That's where the exposure comes from. And I think overtime. They've dumped a lot of money into this, so they they can't fail. They I'm, I'm sure they have things up their sleeves, there are things in the world, but they they honestly they can't fail. This is a they've dumped too much money into it. They've had too many major investors into it. They've signed way too many talented kids for this to fail. So I'm I'm very very interested to uh, see what it goes. I know a couple of kids that are playing in the overtime league. I'll, I'll try to keep. I try to talk to them every couple of weeks just to get you know see what their thoughts are on it so far and just going with them through the process. I, I mean, we're, I think it, it is one of the more interesting developments over the last few years. It's just w- football has problems of, you know, we can't, nobody's ever managed to start a minor league football program. That's been mm-hmm. worth anything. Can, if you're willing to invest, can you do it in basketball? And is it going to be a, a, a legitimate challenge to some of the, some of these guys trying to come to college? I think that's, it's it's going to be something everyone's watching, and it, I I don't know how it's going to play out. You know, it's it's yeah. if you put enough money into anything, I tend to believe you can make it work. But that, it's tough to know. You know, are you going to be able to convince kids that typically root for their schools to go watch? Yeah, and another point is too because I've talked to I've talked to a parent whose son is actually in this, and I told I told I told them I was like, your kid's very talented. I get it, but I told them the thing the difference between college and pro is. Once you declare pro, there is no 
going back. If you excuse my language, but if you fuck up, you fuck up. That's it. There is no going back. In college, if you mess up, I can go back as a sophomore, a junior, a senior. I can continuously go back. You know what I mean? If you once you go pro, yeah, and you sign your two year deal with the overtime league, and it's twenty what twenty twenty three draft, you don't get drafted. You play in the summer league, they cut you. Damn, then you know who who's to blame? You can't blame the overtime league. You got your money, bro. They gave you your money. At the end of the day, they're gonna turn around and say, "Bro, you should have gotten better." The thing with college is you can go back, but once you declare go pro, you will be judged as a pro. Sure, you'll be nineteen years old, twenty years old. You'll be very young, but you're gonna be judged as a pro. As a college kid, you're judged as a college kid. You can always go back. Hell, you can transfer now and not have to sit out. That's the thing with college, and I think that some of that is being devalued because just because you're a four or five star recruit, that doesn't guarantee you're going to the NBA. You know that that doesn't that doesn't guarantee anything. And then the biggest thing is too. Who are these overtime kids playing? I know they're supposed to be playing some overseas kids, but we'll see. We'll see. It's a work in progress. But how much better? I want to see how much better are they going to be able to get, and are they going to be able to compete at a level, or compete at that same level? So it's just an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and the development part of this is is real because you, you, as much as I want to believe that overtime is gonna is gonna try to do their best to develop these kids, the it, it's just kind of true that the best coaches are in two places. They're going to coach in the NBA and they're going to coach in the NCAA because the NCAA, if you're a top coach, you're going to make three to $3 million and you're not going to, you're probably not going to see anywhere near that from anything the overtime's offering their coaching staff. So yeah. from a development perspective, I just don't know if these kids are taking, because this is what I worry about kids going overseas. You know, you're a guy, you're a five star, you get offered 100,000, 150,000, 200,000, whatever the case, whatever the can considered high end for a high school kid going out to go play in Australia or Europe or, you know, or, you know, you get the prime, you get that sweet spot in Spain where everybody wants, you know, kind of wants to go play for a year and have a good time. How you're not playing guys who are as good as what's in the NCAA a lot of the time. And I wonder if, you know, to some degree, does that hurt your development? You know, yeah, they're, they're big, they're grown men. You're playing against grown men, but I, I just, you go play against, you know, Baylor last year or Gonzaga or somebody like that. These top tier programs, they're, I, in my opinion, right now, closer to what the NBA is producing than, say, whoever the hell you play from Lithuania. You know, it's just that that's what I, my concern is with those kids. It's just, are you getting your best developed product? Because like you said, yeah, if you're screwed, if it doesn't work, you know, you get one window with that stuff. If you fall out of it, they'll forget you in a hot minute and go find the next greatest yeah. thing. You know, yeah. The NBA is risk averse. They're not going to take a chance on you. If they think you can't do it, and then you're in that you're in your draft window, that's it. They're they're gonna wash yeah. their hands. So it's it, it's gonna be something to watch play out. And speaking but, of the, uh, those, what I also uh, wanted to ask. You, oh, oh, go ahead, my man. Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh I was gonna say. No, um, you can you continue. Oh, I was looking. I'm looking up another list of kids that have decided to you know opt out. Like they went to high school, but they decided to go overseas. I'm gonna just run down the list. Brian Bowen, he's in the G League. Billy Preston, I believe he's overseas. Brandon Jennings out the league. Jeremy Tyler's out the league. Manuel Moody is out the league. He did just sign, a, I think, a one-year deal with the Bulls. He just signed it recently, but he was out the league for like a year and a half. Terrence Ferguson, he's still floating around, but he's a guy I can see in a year or two, probably out the league. The only one that's been successful on the list that I'm looking at right now is LaMelo Ball. So they're one for seven, one for eight, or well, RJ Hampton, too. So right now – that, that looks like they'll have a chance to stay in the NBA long-term, two guys. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just an interesting dynamic. 
Yeah, and it's it it just I think it all boils down to you know what happens going to play, you know, just taking a payday. I mean, if you need it now, there are kids who need that. You got to do what you got to do to take care of your family, take care of yourself. I fully understand that, and that's what I'm hoping the NIL stuff will take care of. You know, you've got these kids who can go. You know, you would have been offered by Duke, but you got to go take money to go play overseas. You can go to Duke now, and somebody can hand you a crap ton of cash, anyways. So I'm hoping that's what gets evened out. Um, speaking of, you know, college basketball and the, the future of it, realignment's coming down. We we, we kind of know who these four schools are going to be. You know, we're, we're, if reports are believed, we've got U of H, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. Almost, I'll say, guaranteed done deal, whatever you want to call it. It depends on how much you trust reports that are coming out right now but right. from a basketball perspective you see these four teams coming and you're looking at the big 12 um you know what well, how would you grade out a conference with the eight teams that are going to be left plus those four okay so cincinnati typically they're, they're typically solid every year they make the tournament let's say every other year houston looks like they're forming something very big down there you know they just came out of final four appearance they look to be solid ucf they had that one good year two years ago and they really, I really wish they would have beaten Duke, but nonetheless, they did not. And then the other, who was the uh, other school? Was it BYU? BYU. BYU and BYU, BYU goes to the tournament pretty much every year. I think the tournament, I mean, it adds, you're adding four tournament caliber teams, but you're, you're adding, you're adding good teams, but, I mean, you get Texas OU, they go to the SEC. That's that's tough, especially. I mean, we don't, you know, Texas fans, they don't like Chris Beard, but I mean, what he's building down there in Texas, if they're 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 going to be very very good. They have just as much talent this year as Kentucky does. They have just as much talent. Got got top notch facilities. They're going to get five star recruits every year. So I think the conference will still be formidable. I don't know if it'll still be able to be the best basketball conference. I mean, you get to keep Baylor. Is can is Kansas leaving too? As of right now, I think that's more of they want to go to the Big Ten. At least their fans do. But I have not seen anything that's tended me to think that they have an exit. Okay. If well, if Kansas stays, you you still get to keep Baylor. Texas also going to be in the full Oklahoma State. Still has a good program. You're adding in U of H. I like the program. I, I like I like the conference as a whole. But if you lose Kansas. I don't know if there's. I don't know if the Big Twelve will be a, will be a top three, will be a top two basketball conference anymore. They will probably be in the third, fourth range. I think that the SEC would be better. I think the Big Ten would be better, and the ACC is always loaded. They've been on a downturn last year, but ACC is usually ACC or the Big Twelve. I could argue the Big Twelve could be fourth. How does that affect seeding going forward? You're going to be playing against good teams, but I think that would definitely change it. The conference would be solid, though. I think the conference it would be a. a it would be a very respectable conference. I would like the conference too, but it would just be a lot different. Yeah, I think we're all. I mean, he, our team here in Hub City. We, I think we were all kind of hoping that an exit for Tech to the Pack was around. That doesn't look like it's happening. I'm kind of ready for it. You know, I'm ready for this to be settled at least for a little. Yeah. Have an idea of who's coming where. So, I, from one perspective, I really like this as a basketball conference. From the other, I get. You know, you are losing whatever Chris Beard builds at Texas, you know, and we, yeah. if he if he's as good as it looks like they could be, you could have had, you know, a really, really deep conference 
yeah. right here without it, especially if OU looks like they're going to turn it around. Um, you could have had some real, real nail biting big 12 races where for a while, you know, it was kind of just Kansas floating around beating everybody up. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, speaking of, of tech in particular, and, you know, we, we, we look at speaking of turning over rosters, the whole roster has to be turned over more or less. You know, how would you evaluate what Mark Adams and the staff have done building what they built in this time frame? Um, if you would have asked me this three months ago, I, I honestly, I didn't know what, what direction they were going. You know, you're losing literally borderline the whole team via the draft, transfer portal or whatever. What they what they were able to pull off in such a short stand was honestly incredible. And I don't think it, I don't think that it's talked about enough. That was that was incredible. I, I, um, I saw Coach Adams, um, uh, Coach Corey Williams, Coach Hester at a couple of events this summer. We just talked about it and laughed about it. I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe they did it. I, I, I really honestly wasn't expecting them to be able to pull this out. They have a very solid roster. They weren't, in the, they weren't a top 25 team in the preseason rankings, but I think that they'll be one by the end of the season. I think that they'll they have a very, very good team. I think they'll probably finish fourth probably in the Big 12, but they'll still be a tournament team. And, you know, they have a very – Competitive roster. This this is a roster. That if I was a team, I would want to play this roster. They're all old veteran players. They played on big levels before. I think this is a very good team, especially the circumstances they would do. Your coach leaves, you lose what seven players, and you got to just replace all of them. That you know, they, they what they did was is not talked about enough. They did a fantastic job of rebuilding this roster. I was happy with it. I think that what what surprised me the most was how quickly there seemed to be a decision made on uh, and had to be a decision made on, you know, from one perspective, they had to do it. How, what direction do you want to take the roster? You know, are we going to, are we going to get away from, you know, some of the Chris Beard era stuff? Are we going to do, you know, we can try to get taller. We can try to build up our post, which is tech has not done the last five years or so. And then the decision was made real quick. Look, we're going to be long. We're going to be lengthy and we're going to be fast. We're going to be athletic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we may not be the world's best shooting team. We're going to be pretty good on the offensive end, but we are going to be the absolute most annoying defense we could build in this time frame. So I, I was impressed by the direction the staff took. Um, we're we're going to close out here with a couple questions about football. We are in football season as of recording this, and this is uh, 3 o'clock before the first game of the year against Houston. Um, just for this game, from your perspective, who you take in Tech or Houston in game one? Um, I mean, Tech has to show it to me. I mean, we have – we. I think we really – we upgraded their quarterback. I really like our quarterback from Oregon. Um, we brought back, you know, some pretty good um, offensive skill position players. I just want to see it. I think Houston is favored by one and a half. I'll pick – I'll pick Tech um, – I'll pick tough, uh, Tech the upset. I'll pick an upset. I think that we – I think we have a better team than they do. I just think they have – Tech has a better team than them. Despite them being on the road, I think that um, – I think Tech go down there and uh, beat them. Yeah, you know, I wasn't expecting this to be as quite as one-sided attendance-wise as it's, as it's looking like it's going to be. For reference, yeah. I'm thinking we're going to see like 40K Houston to 10K Tech. I thought we'd even that up a bit more, but it really does not look like that's going to happen. So it is going to be more or less a road environment. I'm, I'm curious yeah. to watch this. All of us here picked big wins. Praying to God we get it. We <laughs> really want, we really need this first game to go, go Tech's way yeah. to have a good year. Um, you're looking at the schedule as a whole, you know, with Matt Wells in critical year three, where, what, what record you give in tech, you know, does Matt Wells do enough to save his job? Um, 
some of they really gave them a hard time at the end. So you Houston SFA Florida National. Let's say they go three and zero. First, your first Big Twelve game is Texas on the road. I don't. That's tough. You go West Virginia, who should be better. You get TC at home for the first time since uh, since forever. That you get Kansas. Kansas State's always gritty. Then you go Oklahoma bye week. Iowa State, Oklahoma State. That's tough. That that's that three. I mean, I know you get a bye week in between Oklahoma and Iowa State game. That that three game stretch right there that could that could break their season because theoretically, you play Baylor on the road to end it off. I could see them losing four games in a row. They they end they end the season a four game losing streak. He's gone. I I think I think if you're not. If I, I think if you have not gotten to six wins, or I'll, I'll say five. Let's say five. So you, you you could technically pick up six with Baylor. If you have not gotten to five wins by the by that stretch, um, you're screwed. I think he he would be very well. That 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 I can't see him doing in the best case scenario going more than two and two over that stretch, and that's beating Baylor and Oklahoma State really, or right. Uh, right. because I don't see a world in which you can beat Oklahoma or Iowa State, and Oklahoma State's going to be a tough out, and really Baylor's the only team in your, your your caliber right now, so if you're not to five wins by then, I would tend to agree your, your Matt Wells is probably going to have to start shopping for homes elsewhere. Uh, I, I just I can't see them keeping him in that world like that. But um, thank you so much for joining us, Tobias. This is really great. It's nice to get a perspective from somebody who's who's actually getting to talk to these kids about what's going on with some of these changes. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I know we rescheduled on you once, so I, I'm glad we were able to get you on. And um, any last things you want to say to to, to to tech fans who may be listening? Oh well, yeah. First off, thank you for coming on, man. This was a really good interview. I haven't done a podcast in a while. He's making me want to get back on my podcast and do it again. But yeah, this was a good time. Thank you for bringing me on. Anytime you want to bring me on throughout the year, just you know, just just text, DM me and I'll come on the show. But um, for tech fans out there, just I mean, just be reasonable. You know, expectations. No, we love our tech football. We love our tech basketball. Just be reasonable. You know, I think sometimes tech fans, we get really, really excited. And I get it. You know, sports are coming back around. We're dealing with some craziness throughout the world. But just keep your expectations reasonable. We know what tech, we know how tech football can do. If they get us really, really high at one point and the downfall is just awful, just be realistic. Same with basketball. Keep your expectations at a reasonable clip. And I think that we'll be fine. Yeah, I am as guilty as anybody of getting overexcited and riding and dying with the highs and the lows. But thank yeah. you again, Tobias. This has been great. Um, we're we're going to have this package together with another interview we did. It'll be a nice special episode, and we can get a really good look at some tech athletics. We will certainly be inviting you back. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, and Reckham. Luke, tell us a bit about yourself uh, and your your name, what sports you're actually involved in, and what year you are in college. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, my name is Luke Estes. I'm going to be a senior this upcoming fall, and I'm on the cross-country and track team. Sounds like you have some experience with Tech's most recent national title, uh, which came out of men's track. Now, I, one question I, I was curious about is, does cross-country fall under fully that program's header? Is that just part of them? Are you just part of the track team? Uh, yeah, so cross country is in the fall, so it uh, does not fall under a track, but it definitely, uh, whenever I say I'm on the cross country team, I also mention the track team for sure. 
So as part of cross country, one of the things that is different for everybody's familiar with the football structure, basketball structure, scholarships, and baseball has its own unique problems. But for cross country, how does the scholarship situation work for you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, with cross country, there's not nearly as many scholarships, obviously. Uh, But so for us, there's a lot of us that are on books or they're on uh, walk-ons. But for cross country on the men's side, at least, it's usually two to three scholarships for each team. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah, it's it. It's I'm assuming most of you do not have to pay entirely your own way unless you are a true walk on. Would, would you say that's the case? Uh, yes, they definitely like splitting up the scholarships because the cross country team does have uh, we have a little over 20 guys this season. So they like to split that up for sure. So when you say there's 20 guys, do all of you run every event or is there some sort of process to determine who runs at each event? How does that work? Yeah, so for cross-country, the distance is AK, which is a little over five miles. And that will be like the standard uh, distance for each race, unless it's for regionals and uh, the championship, which is 10K, which is a little over six miles. Mm -hmm. But uh, usually for the most meets, it's usually going to be the whole guys running uh, the race. But with cross-country and scoring, it's uh, top five score and with the scoring, it's kind of like golf, so lowest score wins. And for the scoring, it's so first place gets like one point, and then second place two points. And just what place you get is how many mm-hmm. points you uh, you get, and you add them up, you add them all up, and uh, lowest score wins for cross country races. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so when for the Big Twelve, does every Big Twelve per- program field a cross country team right now? Uh, so for the men's side, everybody has a cross country team besides West Virginia. Okay. Um, so you guys, you compete, I'm assuming there's some sort of regular season. How do you determine who goes on to a regional championship kind of setting? So for regionals, it's off of, uh, each region. So we're in the mountain West for running and everybody gets to go to regionals, but, uh, to make it to the championship, there's big cues and little cues, and that's off of like standing. So in the mountain region, it's uh it's a powerhouse. So we have like all the top cross country schools in our region, and usually out of that region, uh, usually like ten teams make it to the championship. But then for there's three big cues for each region, but it just depends uh like your time and also your placement uh to see if you get a little cue to make it to the championship. Okay, so you mentioned top the top per house country teams are all kind of under Tech's region. Give us an idea who are the top like three or four programs that Tech watches out for every year. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people might not have heard this school because it is a small school, but they are definitely uh, one of the top programs for the past five or six years. It's uh, Northern Arizona. Uh, they get a train in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is seven thousand feet elevation, which is a big thing. But uh, they've been really good, really consistent for the past couple of years. And then also you get like the schools like BYU, uh, then Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, Colorado State, and also uh, Oregon. Okay, so it sounds like being a, I guess described as like a mountain or rise in elevation school is probably the biggest advantage for their training. 
Yeah, I mean, elevation with uh, distance running is a uh, it's a huge plus getting a tra- train in altitude because you get that altitude conversion. And also it just helps you uh, with your, your lungs and also helps you uh, build up that base. While we're talking about training, everybody's kind of familiar with how football practices, but for a sport like cross country and distance running in general, walk us through what's a, what's a day in the life of a cross country runner trying to get ready for, for a run. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, in a standard week you have, uh, typically two workouts and we like to do them on Tuesday and Thursday. And then Saturday is either race day or long run, but, uh, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays are usually easy runs, but before each run, I mean, you got to stretch out, you got to, roll out all like calves, hamstrings, quads, and all that stuff just for uh, prevent in- injuries. But in each week, your uh, standard week is two workouts and then a long run on Saturday. For Tech's cross-country team, you know, who on who out on the men's side and the women's side, if, you, if you're familiar with the ladies too, who are the runners who typically speaking lead the pack for the team? Yeah, I mean, for the guys team, there's uh, – we have a young team. I mean, it's me and then one of my roommates, Eric, who uh, is another senior, but we're the only two seniors. And then we have probably 70% uh, underclassmen and they're, uh, we're going to have a solid pack. And I feel like uh, EJ, he's going to be a sophomore this year, who's going to have a really good season. And, but other than that, we're going to have, I feel like a pack of four to five guys that can all run together. So I feel like uh, there's not going to be one certain guy that's going to be winning every single race. Sounds good. I mean, we obviously, I, I personally want Tech to win at everything, no matter what the sport is. But I also, with all sports, rivalries form. For Tech Cross Country, do you guys have a specific school that you're setting out to beat every time you see them? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, for us, that – uh, there's certain teams that are around our caliber that we always want to beat. One of them is being Baylor. Every time we race them, we always want to beat them uh, because they're around our speed and we know uh, it can go either way. And also uh, when it comes to conference, Kansas State and KU. So in the conference, because you mentioned the top programs overall and they sound like they're more out to the West, but it, within the Big 12 itself, what has been the reigning cross-country program for the last few years? Yeah, the reigning cross-country uh, champions has been Iowa State. I mean, they've been uh, – Iowa State and UT and Oklahoma State are the definitely top guys, but Iowa State has been uh, winning it for the past four or five years. So how does – when these teams are forming – how how do how with the limited scholarship? How is recruiting like for somebody who's trying to get into a, a major cross country program? You know, what was it like? How were you contacted? How much did you have to sell yourself to try to get one of these spots with the limited resources allocated to it? Yeah, for sure. So uh, for my process, uh, I realize a lot of uh, track coaches and cross country coaches. They go off the cross country, but not nearly as much as track times because on the track, you're getting a certain distance and you know the distance you're going to get. But with the cross country course, I mean, some might be long, some might be short. So they definitely look into track time just a little more than cross country. But uh, contacting wise, I re- uh, junior year is a big year for contacting coaches and having uh, a good season. 
And I just made a list that schools I'd be interested in and sent out an email with all my times and uh, more about myself where they get a better understanding. And I contacted a couple, quite a few coaches and then uh, emailed them. And then they got back to me. I could uh, hopefully got a visit. And then also uh, we were able to uh, set up official visit with those emails. So you would describe cross-country recruiting for anybody who's trying to do it as a, mu- a very much self-motivated affair. You need to make your best effort to put your foot forward for, with these coaches. Yeah, I mean, cross-country is definitely like cross-country coaches definitely look into cross-country, and it's definitely more of a team event compared to track. So, I mean, cross-country is probably one of my favorites because of the team aspect of it and how close you get to the guys. But uh, co- college coaches usually Team or tend to look more into track times just because of the certain distance. Okay, so when you were in high school and you're running track as well as cross country, seriously, what event did you run? What events do you think get a bit more attention from cross country coaches? Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of hard because in high school, it, the longest distance you get for track is two miles and then a mile. And I mean, if you're going for cross country, they're definitely going to look into two mile, but they also take into consider- consideration for the mile and two mile for track. So what would you consider for any anyone who's wondering how they measured up? What were your times like in, in track running your events that you think helped you get noticed? Uh, yeah, so I mean, it you can run anywhere. Almost like There's a lot of different opportunities. You don't have to run like Power 5 or D1. But, I mean, if you really work towards it, you can run in college. But I feel like the the race that got a lot of attention for me was there was this 5K uh, my senior year on the track, and I was able to run really well. And also there was this cross-country race, which was called Nike Nationals or NXR, and I was able to uh, place really well in that race because a lot of people from different states go into that race. So it was a big race. A lot of coaches, college coaches look into that. So I feel like uh, that NXR race and then also Texas Distance Festivals was the races that put me on the map. So that that was going to lead to my next question. Where I went to high school was a uh, top um, – we had a couple of guys who were top track athletes. Um, Matthew Boland went to Georgia the last couple of years. He was that kid who went viral for that relay. Mm-hmm. And then we had another guy who was a Gatorade All-American kind of guy. So I saw the national attention for that. But for cross country, if you're wanting to get noticed, what races do you, do you circle on your calendar as being, I need to get into that to get spotted? Yeah. I mean, uh, senior year, my coach really wanted me to uh, race in those big races and some of the big races that uh, I had circled, but they got canceled because it was during their hurricane Harvey time. Mm-hmm. But McNeil, McNeil's a, probably one of the biggest uh, Texas high school races for cross country. And it's also a fast course. So you're able to put up a fast time with a lot of competition there. And then also always doing good at your state meets in high school is, uh, is something that you look forward to. As part of recruiting, you meet the coaches. What sold you on tech versus any other opportunity you had to go run? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I got to meet uh, Coach Murray, which is the cross-country coach and distance coach for Texas Tech. But then I also got to meet uh, the head coach, Wes Kitley. And what really helped me was how genuine they are and how 
they wanted me to grow more as a man and wanted me to do well in school and not just athletics. So that's what really sold me. But then also, uh, I've never been to Lubbock uh, before. And also, I just fell in love when I visited here with the city of Lubbock and how nice everybody is here. We have we heard similar things from Adonis. A lot of what sold him was the coaching staffs and being in Lubbock. Um, he's really enjoyed it. So I'm glad to hear that across sports that our coaches make great impressions. But with regards to, you know, the the average life of a cross-country athlete, you know, what what do you think is the hardest part about choosing to be a distance runner in college? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's hard because, I mean, we have practice uh, – for cross-country, we have practice in the morning, and we have it around 6.30. So definitely the hardest part, I guess, is staying on top of school and then also uh, keeping – on top of your sleep schedule because I mean if you don't get enough sleep it's definitely you're going to pay the iron price on workouts or uh, you could injure yourself not getting enough sleep so I guess just staying on top of school and then also managing your sleep schedule and this this is this bonehead interview remote I meant to ask what are you majoring in at tech uh, I'm majoring in business management I should have mentioned that in the intro. Yeah, I, I just that that was one of those things I I knew I was forgetting something in your intro and then it dawned on me but when you manage cross country and you're ma- doing school full time, obviously, um, how much would you say, I guess the question is how much do you think tech, how tech accommodates athletes has allowed you to do this? You know, do you feel like tech should do more to help athletes in your position? Are they doing enough? How, what are the resources like to help guys stay on top of their schoolwork? Yeah, no, uh, Honestly, this has been the biggest blessing uh, was Tech Tech with my academics because with cross country and track, we have a academic advisor. Uh, her name's Suzanne Dickinson, and she uh, she keeps uh, keeps everybody on top of their stuff. Uh, she texts you if you don't uh, turn something in. Or the biggest thing for me is we're able to get tutors if we ever need any help. And that has been super helpful because every time I've struggled in a class, I've been able to get a tutor and help me out with that class and help me prepare more for that class. So Texas Tech has definitely done a great job uh, helping us uh, stay on top of our academics. So we're heading into fall. Your season's coming up. If you're predicting how you guys are going to do, you mentioned young squad, all that, looking across the Big 12, how do you think this season will go for Texas Tech? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely – we have a really special group. We have a lot of guys that have a lot of potential and everybody's been putting in work this summer and building up that base. And I feel like all of us can agree that we can uh, aim for top top four in the conference, which would be a big deal because we've never on the men's side has placed that high in cross country. So that is going to be our goal for this season is uh, finish top four as a team. Well, we'll be watching for it with, you being a student athlete, how much time do you have to participate in the other athletics going on? Or do you get much time to get to go to watch during the fall? You know, the football team's going on, basketball starts towards the end. Do you get much time on Saturday to be able to go watch a game? Yeah, for sure. So on Saturdays, we have our long runs in the morning, and we usually finish around 8 or 9, depending what time we start. And after that, I mean, all of us are big uh, Texas Tech sports fans, so – we uh, definitely go to football games and basketball games and even baseball games whenever we get the chance to uh, support the other Texas Tech sport athletics. What is your favorite sport besides cross country? 
Yeah, that's hard. It honestly, it depends what season it is. <laughs> I mean, if it's football season, it's football right now. And then, I mean, with basketball being so good these past couple of years, it's super fun to watch basketball. And then baseball as well. So we, we're, we're previewing football. That's been what we're gearing up to do. And we're speeding up our recording schedule to try to do that. So I got to ask you, when you look at the football team this year, what would your prediction be for their record? Yeah, I mean, I talk about this all the time uh, with my dad and friends. I'm an optim- optimistic person about our football team this year. I feel like uh, I feel like with our new offensive coordinator, I feel like our offense is going to be a lot better. And I feel like last year, I feel like our defense was honestly really good at times. And bringing in new talent, uh, new transfers, I feel like I feel. I this might I don't know what people might say about this, but I think we can go seven five honestly. If you follow Viva, you know that I I run most of our Twitter Twitter account, and you'll know that I'm an extremely optimistic tech football fan. So I like to hear that it's not just me out in the wind being optimistic. When mm-hmm. so for cross country, p- pivoting back to your sport, you mentioned top four being the goal. If you were to fall top four in conference, you mentioned like the top ten schools get to usually advance on and through out of the mountain mountain west region you guys are in would a top four finish in the big 12 be enough to get you to the next step for cross country or do you have to win it outright to do it you uh well so for conference it doesn't really matter it honestly goes off of just regional off of that race and uh i mean if we get top four in conference i mean that's not like an automatic bid or anything because it's just off of the regional race Mm -hmm. but i mean if we get top four i mean that can definitely help us in the right step of hopefully maybe qualifying in the championship in the near future, you know? And this is probably going to be a, a controversial opinion, but I have to ask because we've been doing, we've been arguing on Twitter on occasion, um, but top Mexican food in Lubbock, where are you going? Mm, that is hard. So for uh, the cross country team, we're a big breakfast taco place. And uh, it's not. I haven't tried too much of their uh, their dinner or their lunch, but I would have to say picantes. Wow, I think that that. I mean, like I said, I don't know how controversial it is. I was I always went to Taqueria, uh, Taqueria, and I'm going to butcher the name, so I apologize to everyone in the world who listens to my terrible pronunciation. Alaska, uh, which was my favorite place while I was in Lubbock, but that. I found out that that was not a guarantee for most people <laughs> when I was on Twitter. Um, and I also have to ask this because this was the second topic that always comes up with food. The top barbecue place you're going to in Lubbock. Where are you headed? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say this. I haven't been to too many barbecue places here in Lubbock, but I am definitely open to suggestions that I should try out. Evie Mays is the one that's going to get all the hype. My only, and it is good. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. The only problem is, is it definitely is a, is a, it's more of a get up at like nine and go get in line affair, which is not for everybody. But if yeah. you're, I think if you're going to be new to the Lubbock barbecue scene, you start with technically that's the best. I think technically speaking, that's actually more friendship area, but um, that, mm-hmm. that would be where I would start if I was brand new. You do get up one morning and go do it and have a good time with it. Um, what do I? What do I get there though? Like, is there a certain thing I need to try? Uh, I've heard 
the ribs are really good. The one, the couple times I went, they actually ran out of them before I could get them. But a buddy of mine did snag them once. He said they're incredible. I really like the burn-ins. Uh, that that's a personal preference more than anything else. I really enjoyed that. And in good. general, I've heard and experienced that the brisket just. At, on face value is really really excellent but i i've never heard bad things when we went as a group once all our guys got something different um when i went with some buddies and nobody complained it's it's you really it would be hard pressed to get something there that would miss but like i said they do run out so it is a bit of a it is a bit of a of an experience to go um if you were going to try it but you know if you guys ever if you guys do finish top four in the conference and find yourselves in a position to move on to the next levels. That might be a nice place to go celebrate as a, yeah. as a cheat meal. Um, I guess sure, my yeah, last question, sorry. Uh, my last question for you is you're looking out at the landscape with DNIL and all this stuff going on. Have you, for the non-revenue guys, what do you think the outlook is for that world changing? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it opens up definitely a new world and it's kind of hard to, like what it holds in the future just because it's so new to everybody and nobody really knows uh, what's going to happen. Like uh, what kind of, I mean, it obviously opens up new opportunities, but it's, uh, it's hard to tell right now, honestly, on what exactly is going to happen and uh, how uh, it's going to work out for like, you know, cross country or like maybe the sports that don't get enough recognition, but it's definitely awesome for uh, all the athletes to be able to make uh money off their image and likeness. I said it was the last question. I lied. When you guys are hearing about this, are you personally or guys on your team trying to make outreach on their end to get involved with it? Are you being counseled by the school? How, how does it work now when you're trying to decide what you can and can't do with it? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of us are definitely reaching out to, uh, different companies and all that stuff. But, uh, I know start of the season we're having a like meeting with uh, the team and everybody and we're going to have like somebody uh, help us out with that and uh, just give us more information uh, where we can learn more about how and what we can do exactly with the NIL. Uh, I think it's going to be the next couple of weeks with that meeting. Well, I'm glad to hear because that we're on Viva's side, we don't know what the hell we can do with it either. Uh, we, we, we're, we're very uncertain and have largely tried to keep our hands out of it because we don't know what classifies as like impermissible contact anymore and what doesn't. Um, so that, it's confusing for all of us, but I am, I am glad to hear that you guys are going to try to exploit it and do the best you can with it. I wish you luck on your season. Uh, I hope you guys do great stuff. We're going to try to on our end, make more of an effort to cover the non-revenue sports we are admittedly not good at it. Um, it's just part of being in media. We don't do a good enough job. So I'm hoping one of the reasons we had you come on was to try to boost awareness and start covering it. We tried to do it with golf, soccer, try to be better, more well-rounded as an organization. So I, I appreciate you coming on and helping us out with that. Um, do you have any parting thoughts that you'd like to tell our, our audience and Texas Tech fans in general before we sign off? Yeah, I just want to say thank you for allowing me to come on this podcast and share a little more about uh, cross-country and track because I know a lot of people uh, don't know about cross-country and the distance, so I really appreciate you allowing me to come on and speak more about it. Well, thank you again, and this was Hub City Homers. Like I said, I don't know what we're going to do with this quite yet. We may be tagging this onto an existing episode, so keep your ears peeled for it, and we may have it outright. Um, We'll see. 
Thank you to Luke again and Reckham.